Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. You hear the big voice. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. Hello. We've got Trevor Henry behind the glass. I want to start really quickly with a programming note for basically the entire month of April. So this is our first show of the second show of the month. Sorry, I forgot last week was the first of April. So this is our second show of the month. This is also the last show that you and I will do together this month. This month. This month. We'll be back. Yeah, don't worry. We'll be back. We're actually not going anywhere. We're going to be doing shows every week. They're just different. So here's what's going to happen. Next week is the ASU football spring game. So myself, along with the State of the Sun Devils podcast team of Jake Anderson, Jesse Morrison, and Jeremy Schnell, we will be live from Sun Devil Stadium next Saturday. Covering the spring game. Following McCabe's show. It'll be also the same day as Pat's run. Very excited to see people cross the 42-yard line, as is tradition. And then we will help set up the spring game, which I think starts at noon, if I want to say. It's right after Pat's run is done. So they do the run they tear everything down, and then they get you ready for the spring game. I know Coach Dillingham really wants to pack the house, and so far, so good in that department. But we will be doing the show from there next week. You have next week off. Yep, I won't be here. These final two weekends of April, I will not be here, but you will be here for normal uh, Saturday show programming. And then we get right into things. The draft's coming up. Yep. Uh, we got a whole summer of football to talk about. We got baseball in full swing. See what I did there? Ah, um, so swing. Never a dull moment on the show. Never a dull moment on the show. And the one thing that you didn't even mention, which is kind of our lead topic today, NBA playoffs right around the corner. That'll do it here at Crypto.com Arena. The Lakers win it by the final 121 to 107. L.A. wins its second straight in the series with the Suns and snaps Phoenix's seven-game win streak in doing so. Oh, darn it. They lost without Chris Paul, without Kevin Durant, without Devin Booker, without DeAndre Ayton. To the Lakers. Yeah, this was very much a rest day, so I think you and I agree. Neither of us are upset. Neither of us are going to deep dive on this game. Uh, We will mention, however, that it was positive notes from Monty Williams in terms of the injuries sustained by both Bismack Biombo and Campaign. So it sounds like nothing serious with the either of them because both of them missed the second half of yesterday's game. So that's good. And I think this was also good in the sense of you need to give your best players rest before it just becomes an absolute gauntlet next week. Yeah, I mean, th- this game against the Lakers and the upcoming game to finish out the regular season against the Clippers uh, mean pretty much nothing. Uh, we're going to get into playoff scenarios in a different segment later on, but you know, basically the Suns are locked into the four seed. They can't win more games and go up. They can't lose more games and go down. So yep. they are locked in at four. It's what we talked about a week ago, right? That this was your main objective for the week was to maintain the four seed so you have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, at right. least. Um, they did that. So now, you know, the benefit of doing that is you didn't have to play your four best players against the Lakers. Always um, nice. Who, by the way, the Lakers still had something to play for. So, of course, they were going to so win can this I, game. Can I push the conversation into a different tangent real quick then? Because this was the second night of a back-to-back for the Suns. The prior night, they hosted the Denver Nuggets. Right. Who sat all five of their starters for various reasons. Some of them were dealing with injuries. Others, they were very much, you know, 
finding words to... They're locked into the one seed. ...but not say rest. Right. Denver's done. Denver doesn't have to do anything else. They have nowhere left to go. They've got a back-to-back to close out the season, so they needed a rest night. Right. Would it have made more sense for the Suns to have rested on Thursday as opposed to yesterday? Um, no, not for me. I, I think that once you're fully locked into that four seed and you're facing uh, the, the particular thing you're trying to avoid is injuries, right? Right. My experience is the time that that's going to happen is when you're playing your starters against another team that has something to play for. The Nuggets didn't have anything to play for. So I I, I don't know. I guess you could call that an easy game, but the uh, Laker game, they're playing for something. LeBron's going hard. Anthony Davis is going hard. Other players are going to be trying hard to win that game. So what you do is don't play your starters in that game so that you don't get them injured. And I'm not going to say that they were throwing this game. By all means, the Suns had the lead several times last night. The Suns actually made the Lakers earn that win last night. But my question being to your point, because the Lakers are actually trying for something. And I get your argument of you don't want your guys to get hurt, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, two guys had to leave last night. But do you care at all about how the Lakers finish? Do you want them to finish lower or have to get through a play-in tournament in order to potentially face you in the postseason? Do you care about that if you're the Phoenix Suns? That's that's kind of the crux of my question as to why sit against a fully healthy Lakers team or a somewhat healthy Lakers team and then go all out or try to go all out against a Denver team that's not playing any of their starters on a Thursday? I care if I'm the Suns, about how the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, all those teams finish out the season because it could impact seeding for the play. It will impact seeding for the playoffs and potentially who gets that fifth spot and faces the Suns in the first round. Yes. However, I am prioritizing the health of my most important players over trying to dictate the outcome of the five seed. Okay. I'm prioritizing my own team, the things I can control going into the playoffs, I think that over the last, uh, what is this, how many wins did they have in a row? Seven? Seven. Seven wins in a row. Coming off of a stretch where you were one and six in the seven games previous, right? and then you go seven and oh, now you're locked into the four seed, you got two games left against the uh, Lakers and the Clippers, who you know are going to be aggressive because they're going to be playing for something. This is the perfect time to be resting your players. Right. Especially when you and I have talked all season long, before the Durant trade even, you had times, stretches where Aiton was out. You had stretches where Booker was out. You had stretches where Chris Paul was out. Cam Johnson was injured for a long period of time. I mean, what was it? The starting lineup had played together five times before the trade for Durant? And then even after you get Durant, he doesn't play for played a handful like of weeks. Five times. <laughs> then he plays three games, and then he's injured again. So yeah. if I had to guess, I don't have this statistic right in front of me. I'm sure uh, our insider, Kellen Olson will, will check me on this. But I'm sure that the Suns haven't had all five of their best players readily available to start more than 10 or 12 times this year. It's not a ton. It's I not mean, a lot. So the 7-0 and with KD, that was, as far as I recall, fully healthy lineups. So there's seven. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I thought it was only the, I believe it was only the fifth time that the Mikhail, Cam, Booker, Aiton, and Paul had suited up together. And then they traded them away. Pretty remarkable that your team ends up in the four seed in such a competitive Western Conference, considering how few games you had all of your best players available. Well, everybody deals with injuries. Well, flip it around, too. Who was in the four seed prior to this trade for Kevin Durant? The Dallas Mavericks. Oh, so. Yeah. That coinciding with the Suns being able to creep back up the leaderboard kind of helped with that a little bit. I imagine there's a lot of Suns fans that are ecstatic 
Oh, that the Mavericks fell out of the playoff picture. We're all making the Luca face today. Yeah. Where he's peering into Booker with that smirk-ass smile of his. We're all making that face after yesterday. Honestly, though, the way that they've played since the trade deadline and really since acquiring Kyrie Irving, that's a team I would have wanted to play in the playoffs. It's intimidating because it's two really great players, right? Sure. But they don't seem to be meshing. And I, I'm not blaming this on Kyrie. I, I can, that's not the main problem. Here. I can respectfully do without. Yeah. I don't need to face the Mavericks again because we overlooked them last time. Us as a collective, you know, yeah. us people who talk about sports for a living, we overlooked them. I think we can safely admit that. Did the Suns overlook them too when they went up three two and the Luke or Booker's talking about the Luca special and I think there were a lot of Luca down the tunnel saying everybody tough when they up like blah blah blah. Like, look, I'm happy to not have to deal with the Mavericks this year. Thank God. Good. Bye. Good riddance. Yeah. Have a fun summer. The problem is you have a lot of other teams that take the place of the Mavericks that are playing sure. a lot better right now. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. Back to your point about, you know, what do you do with the last game of the season against the Clippers? When is that? Tomorrow night? Last game of the season is tomorrow at home. So Suns are resting today and then tomorrow they we don't know what they'll do. Would they rest them again? Would I, they play in like the first quarter and then that's it? You like, do, what do the you do? same thing you did with the Lakers. Oh, now, so you fully rest them. I think you fully rest all of your most impactful players. Booker's not going to play. Durant's not going to play. Aiton's not going to play. Chris Paul's not going to play. Understanding that you then have a week off. Yep. Before competition again. Yep. You're okay with that. Yep. Bobby Marks with Wolf and Luke yesterday slightly disagrees. I wouldn't be playing guys tonight. Um, you know, certainly coming off a of back-to-back. I think, you know, considering that you're not playing and you're not going to be playing until Saturday or Sunday, I mean, I would still treat, um, you know, if you're playing on Sunday, almost like a preseason game. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm comfortable completely shutting it down. Because, I mean, you've got so much dead time in between, right? You've got yeah. play-in starting on Tuesday, I believe it is, and then a bunch of alternating days to spread out the week, and then next thing you know, the playoffs start on Saturday. And given that the Suns will not be playing a play-in team, it's highly likely that they're going to start their playoffs on that Saturday. I don't have a problem with Bobby's opinion there. and At times in my sports broadcasting career, I've agreed with that philosophy is that you want guys to at least get comfortable so that they don't forget how to play basketball suddenly. Right. I, I don't think they're at any risk of that happening if you sit them for one more game. These are the highest level of professionals. Now, if I was, t- if we were talking about this five, six years ago when the starting lineup was, you know, Josh Jackson and Dragon Bender and all these young guys, like they, they, they need to be out there consistently to yes. be in the best uh, rhythm possible. We're talking about Chris Paul, a Hall of Fame point guard who's probably a top five point guard in league history, definitely top 10. We're talking about Kevin Durant, possibly the greatest scorer of a basketball that the sport has ever seen. Devin Booker, I think, is probably going to be in the conversation for greatest son of all time, if he's not already. Agreed. And uh, DeAndre Ayton, who I think has had enough experience in this league at this point to really know what his role is come playoffs. I don't think any of those four miss out on anything significant by sitting out this last game. That's a fair argument. Coming up next, Diamondbacks. They won. And... They looked good doing it. We'll point out some of the positives next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And there's a hot 
fly ball, left field. Did he get it all? Bank of the warning track at the wall. Touch of all, Evan Longoria. We're tied at three. Another one. This one by Carroll. Long gone over the pool. Diamondbacks lead at four to three. Back to back. The Arizona Diamondbacks legendary voice. Greg Schulte on the call. Final season for Gubb, by final, the way. Final season for him. That she is correct. No. Uh, Arizona Diamondbacks now 4-4, four and four, which doesn't sound all that sexy, but when you consider the fact that they've played the Dodgers like 100 times already. They've played the Dodgers and the Padres, and they've split. And nobody else. Right. Yeah, it's, it's not they actually split, a bad gig. They split against the two teams presumed to win the West this year. That's great. Yeah, not too bad. I'll take it. Uh, definitely a, a big win last night. Home runs from Evan Longoria, the lefty crusher. That's what he was hired to do. Pretty he had a, good, pretty he had a good great move. game yesterday. I think he was four for four. Corbin Carroll had a home run yesterday as well. Some real pop from the little guy. I Gabby love that Moreno as well. at the bottom of the order. I'm still waiting for a home run from him, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. Now you talk about playing the Dodgers and the Padres so much uh, to open the season, and and there are some other tough, especially if you look at starting pitchers and rotations. Like they're going to get Milwaukee. That's got, they've got a power three at the top of their uh, rotation. They've got Miami, who has a great rotation, even if it's not a very good team. St. Louis, San Diego again. But this schedule drops off a cliff at the end of April and oh, into yeah. May. You get Kansas City, Colorado, Texas is okay. Washington's terrible. Miami, San Francisco's beatable. Oakland's terrible. Pittsburgh, that's like seven series in a row where I'm, I'm picking the Diamondbacks to win the series. Yeah. So this schedule is going to flip completely. And as of right now, you're treading water in a very difficult part to begin the season. If you can get out of these games against the Dodgers and be still 500 or even a game above 500, I think you'd have to consider that a success. I would think. Especially given the lack of production offensively so far this season. Yesterday they scored six runs. They had 10 hits. That's This was probably their best offensive game so far this year. Yeah, considering... The two wins in L.A. were both two-to-one ball games, Right. And then they had the one much larger win in San Diego, but the, the other game was, you know, very tight. And the offense has been really kind of struggling to get into first gear for the most part. Last night was a good sign that this offense perhaps has its way of getting through it. Granted, it's a lineup designed for a left-handed pitcher. So I'm curious what a more regular everyday lineup is going to look like. I'm more curious what this lineup's going to look like when it's truly fine-tuned to the way that you and I expect it to look, I should say. Could, can we agree that we kind of expect Carroll to be in the number one spot? Yeah, so I heard uh, Tori talking about that with Burns and Gambo about how he will eventually elevate to that role. I think a lot of us probably look at the lineup, especially opening day with Kyle Lewis or... Uh, who certainly I don't think has earned the leadoff spot, but against a lefty, I understand the thought process. Yeah, uh, Josh Rojas has been getting that nod against right-handed pitching. Uh, Cattell Marte is still very much at the top of this lineup, mm-hmm. uh, usually hitting second as a switch hitter. I get it from Tory's perspective, but sometimes you just need to not overthink it. And one of the things that I actually don't like about baseball, and you, you and I love the game of baseball, but one is thing I've always overthinking. No, well, yes, but also one thing I have always hated is that uh, it's the only sport where you know your best player won't play for your team for four years. You're going to draft a guy in the top of the first round. That's so true. And he's amazing, and you know he's one of the best athletes in the organization, and you won't see him play for your team for four years. It's the same thing that happened with Corbin Carroll, right? We know Corbin Carroll is the most athletic, uh, probably the most dynamic 
player on this team yes. already. Yes. And he's not hitting leadoff. He's no. not hitting in the top three. He hit fifth behind Christian Walker, which I think is actually a pretty good nod to the kid that he has the ability to knock the ball around the ballpark. He part. showed it yesterday. Um, but we can all acknowledge that's the best player on your team. You probably need to move him up at some point. Tori Lavello acknowledged it will happen. He's just working his way up there. A lot to like with the offense in particular yesterday, and it just kind of worked in their favor, like I mentioned, because it was a left-handed design lineup. And they really did a good job trying to save what was another rough Mad Bum start, which we'll get more into later. Yeah. But then after Mad Bum, something that we thought was going to be another concern again, the bullpen was actually awesome. Nails yesterday. Dre Jameson came in and held things together. He got the win. Miguel Castro was firing on all cylinders. He got a hold. And then Chafin closed things out. Kind of as you expected those guys to do when you acquired them in the offseason. So I think it's time we had the conversation about Dre Jameson. If you don't know the name Dre Jameson, he's already got two wins on the season, by the way. Uh, And a save. Upcoming starting pitcher. I thought he would make the team into the rotation at the start of the season. He did not. Ryan Nelson got that nod. Also deserving. At some point, they're both going to be in the rotation. He had it rough against San Diego, but he wasn't terrible. And, you know, as to your point, deserving. Dre Jameson's been really good. Since the start of the season, he's given up two earned runs. Looks like he's pitched, what, four, six, both eight of and them, a third? Both of them solo home runs, I will add. Eight and a third innings. Eight strikeouts, five walks, only the two earned runs like you mentioned on solo You shots. know what he looks like to me? He looks like the same Dre Jameson that they called up in September and was just nails. Yeah, he's been very good in, a, in an odd role, right? And he only got the role, I think, because Corbin Martin goes on the IL to start the season. He was kind of slated to be the long reliever. Trey Jamison is now your long reliever out of the pen, pitching multiple innings each time. I contest that regardless of Martin's injury, Jamison would have found a way on this roster. Uh, Fair enough. I contest it. I don't know if it would have been the same role. Sure. I mean, he's had two roles to start the year, apparently. So you said something to me before the show began. Yep. That kind of set me off. Would you like to say it again? So he's only done it once, to my knowledge. Well, yeah, he's only done it once because it was his first career save. Granted, he did it in two innings, but it saves the save. And I wonder to myself, would Dre Jamison just be better as the closer of this team? I hate and that I can conversation. T- I can tell you hate it already just by I the fact that it. you set it up the way you did. Let me, let, me, let me give my argument first. Okay. What can Dre Jamison do that this rotation primarily cannot? Throw hard? Throw very, very hard. Yeah. And with that way that he throws hard, what can he do off of that to offset opposing hitters? Uh, off-speed? Yeah, I basically worded, okay. it, worded it for you. He's got very good off-speed stuff to play off of what is like a consistent 199-mile-an-hour fastball. Sure. It's worked once against one of the better offenses in the division. Now, I get it, the sample size is small, but he also did it in two innings. He also shut down the Los Angeles Dodgers over the span of four innings. Who's to say that you can't rely on this kid to come in just for three outs and get all three without any issues? One of the biggest concerns that we had this offseason, Steve, is the bullpen going to get any better? And I wonder if the injury to Mark Melanson kind of put a little note in the back of Tori Lovello's mind of, well, we got to have somebody. The committee thing eventually is going to run dry. And you need someone who can consistently go out there and get three outs without even having to worry about it, no matter how big or small the lead is. And I contest that Dre Jamison may be that guy. Here's my response, my rebuttal. 
he may be the best relief pitcher that you have. That might be true already. In which case, you're probably right. He could thrive in that relief closer role. I think he could be great at it. But even if he's your best relief pitcher, if he has the potential to be your third, fourth best starting pitcher, isn't it worth exploring that? And and to go a little bit further, the Diamondbacks, something that they've done historically, especially over the last few years that I just can't stand, is when they make starting pitchers, young starting pitchers, come up from AAA, and instead of spending their time making more starts at AAA, they put them in the bullpen and say, earn your spot in the rotation by doing something completely different. It's a whole different job. And the reason I hate that is... Because when a guy does well in the bullpen, like Dre Jameson's doing now, we all of a sudden flip the conversation from, hey, he's earned a spot in the rotation, to all of a sudden, he might make a good closer. They didn't do that all that much last year, though. Not last year, but well, they've done it in the past with like Archie Bradley, I, I notably. Know, but I'm talking about last year. When they called up Dre Jameson, what did he do? He, he started. St- when they called up Ryan Nelson, what did he do? He started. Tommy Henry. Mostly started, yeah. Brandon Fott. I think he got Never one. got called up. Oh, he didn't? Okay. No. I think he ended the year in AAA. Tyler Gilbert, when he first got called up a couple of years ago. Uh, started, but then they put him back in the bullpen. Okay, but they realized that the starting wasn't working. I get and it. I'm not arguing that Dre Jamison as a starter has not worked. It very much did work. He allowed like one run in the entire month of September last year. They've given plenty of guys opportunities, but the thing is, does Dre Jamison not deserve his shot in the starting rotation? I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm arguing in favor of protecting the back end, which has been a massive problem for this team in recent history. A massive problem in particular for Tori Lovello. Trying to find that guy who can get the final three outs when you need them most. Because where did they lose most of their ball games last year? In the one run category. To me, if I could equate it to a football conversation, it's like having a guy who's like a pretty solid, like really good left guard. And you're like, you know what? This guy could play left tackle for us. And he'd be a top. Uh, don't bring the Cardinals into this. He'd be a top half this. of the league left tackle. You're going to do the left tackle all day because the position is so much more valuable to you. Dre Jameson's value as the third or fourth starting pitcher in this rotation eventually means so much more to the success of the ball club than him pitching the ninth inning. But I'm not arguing. I firmly believe I'm that. just not arguing that he can't be the starter. I'm arguing that he's probably best positioned as an option to close on this team. It's not unprecedented. Derek Lowe did both. John Smoltz did both. Ian Kennedy, former Diamondback, did both. Well, one a little better than the other, but my point being Derek it's not Lowe and unprecedented. Ian Kennedy, first of all, one of those is, a, is an anomaly. John Smoltz is a Hall of Famer. That, that's next level. Kerry Wood, do you want me to throw another one out there? Uh, another guy who's, uh, he's not a Hall of Famer, Ryan but he's Dempster. pretty close. You want me to keep going? No, but here's the difference. is Some of these guys you're mentioning, they were good starting pitchers who eventually lost their touch. Think about Ian Kennedy. Lost their touch, uh, all of them. and it then went, eventually moved to the bullpen because of, of them. it. all of them. It went the other way. Derek Lowe was a closer and then became a great starter. Ryan Dempster was a great closer and then became a starter. Kerry Wood, I feel starter, those, and was still a really good closer. I feel those are the anomaly rather than the... The constant, so to speak. All right, we can argue about that all day. (laughs) Coming up next, we know one thing for sure. The Suns will be the four seed in the playoffs. But who's going to be playing them? Who's the five seed? There's a lot of scenarios. We'll run you through some of them next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. 
Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass, bumping some very appropriate tunage here in the Akchin Community Studios. So if you go to Twitter.com, there's an account called at NBAPR, which posts everything that you need to know about this upcoming playoffs and possible playoff scenarios. I'm going to timeline this real quick, Steve. On the 7th, so yesterday ahead of all of the games that were happening that evening that had implications on the East, the West, etc. They post a graphic of the playoff scenarios, and it's got Nuggets 1, they're locked in, Memphis or Sacramento, etc. And then every single team that could get 5 through 9 is listed 5 through 9. And that's important because 5 plays the 4, which is the Sun. Correct. So it directly impacts us here in Phoenix. Below that, they have notations about, like, what could happen with each thing. Blah, Scenarios, blah, blah. yeah. Scenarios, yeah. So, like, for example, it says Memphis will be seeded two if the Grizzlies win or the Kings lose. Memphis is the two seed because they won last night. If you go down to the section where they talk about the five through nine seed, it says the following. Detailed scenarios for West 5 through 9 will be posted on Saturday after Friday night's games. <laughs> they were like, this is too complicated to figure yeah. out. We'll do it tomorrow. We don't really know, so we'll let you know when we figure it out. Fast forward. Today is Saturday. We have two possible playoff scenarios that do not impact the Suns, but it has to do with whether or not Minnesota is going to be competing for a 5 or a 6 seed or if they are locked into the play-in. Basically, if Minnesota loses... If Minnesota loses, they will be the nine seed. If Minnesota loses, but the Clippers win, they will be a play-in team, but not necessarily the nine seed. Right. And then, and you've seen this. If you if you want a homework assignment that was very well detailed and very color coded and very, uh, it's a, it's a mess to look at. I tell you that it is the scenario for the five through nine seeds in probably the largest graphic grid I have seen. In a while. So the seeds, those last couple seeds for the playoffs, because the 10 seed is locked up, that's OKC, right? Five through nine. They can be any combination of the Warriors, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Timberwolves, and the Pelicans. Yes. Let's start here. I'm going to make a prediction. Go ahead. Because, I mean, we could run through hundreds of scenarios that are here, but there's six games left that matter for this seeding. Correct. Starting with, you mentioned Minnesota-San Antonio. Not exactly a thriller, but let's just assume Minnesota's probably going to win that game. Then you're looking at Portland versus the Clippers. Portland doesn't have anything to play for. The they Clippers pretty much do. phoned it in. I, my understanding is Paul George is coming back today to play. Oh, boy. Or at least I saw a picture of him wearing a brace on his way in, and I would said imagine, it was his first game back. I would so. imagine that they would hold him back more so. Uh, I probably. Mean, this this is the load management team of the year. I think we could both agree in that department. But I'm going to pick the Clippers there All right, over so now, Portland. So now we've shrunk this grid to about a quarter of what's left. New Orleans versus Minnesota. That's pretty much a push to me, but I like New Orleans more than I like Minnesota, even without Zion, and I don't think he's playing. So I'm going to go New Orleans there. Okay. Utah versus the Lakers. The Lakers have something to play for. Utah doesn't. Utah's done. They probably want better seating for their so lottery odds. Give me the Lakers there. Okay. Golden State versus Portland. Again, Portland comes into play here. I don't think they have anything to play for. I'm going to take Golden State. All right. The final and then two. the final game would be the last game of the season for the Suns. The Clippers versus the Suns. Clippers have something to play for. Suns do not. I'm guessing that they rest all of their big four. 
Therefore, I'm taking the Clippers in that last game. And that's okay if you're a Suns fan. That's all right. Mm -hmm. Who does that leave me with in the playoffs? That gives you the team that just beat you. The Los Angeles Clippers would be the five seed in that scenario. So it would be Clippers five, meaning they would play the Suns. Golden State would be six, which means Draymond Green gets his wish and gets an hour drive to Sacramento. Seven would be the Lakers. And they would play who? The Lakers would play the two seed, New Orleans. No, they would have to do the play in. So oh, the play in tournament. They would yeah, play I New Orleans. They would host New Orleans, I should say, in the win and you're in, lose, and you got to win again. And then New Orleans at the eight, and then uh, that leaves Minnesota at the nine. All of this is just a prediction on my part, but here's what you basically need to know The most likely scenario is that the Clippers get the five seed. Yes. And that the Suns play the Clippers. It's not. A guarantee, it's far from it. I mean, the the odds are less than 50%, but they have the highest chance of being the five seed. The Clippers. There's very few scenarios where the Clippers essentially cannot control their own destiny. The most likely scenario is that the Clippers control their own destiny. They win the final two games. They are the five seed, period. End of story. Where it gets hairy is if they lose this game to the Suns, in my opinion. I don't think Portland's trying. I don't think Portland is going to shock anybody unless the Clippers just do some miraculously terrible thing. I think the most likely outcome is the one that you just laid out, where Minnesota wins today, Clippers win today, Pelicans win against Minnesota tomorrow, Lakers beat Utah, Golden State beats Portland, and then the Suns lose to the Clippers because they're not trying. And as a result, you would get to play the Clippers again. In the series, in the first round. And I argue that maybe you want the Clippers. Why? As opposed to, like, the Warriors, who are probably the most unprecedented group of this playoff bunch. Why? Because they sucked in the regular season. The Golden State Warriors were the one of the worst defending champs in the regular season we've seen in a while. And I don't mean worst as in like, oh my gosh, they didn't even make the playoffs the next year. I mean worst because they have 10 road wins on the year. Yeah, they're 10, 10 and 30. But at the same time, they have literally the exact same group of guys that are about to run this back. They traded for Gary Payton the second during the season. They have him back in the fold healthy. Andrew Wiggins has returned, likely going to be a key piece for them as part of that core five that they have on the floor. The Warriors worry me, man. If it's the first round for me, I'd rather have the Clippers just because of the complete unpredictability of that team is. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And there's still a decent chance that the Warriors end up in that five seed. And, and I mean, heck, any of the five teams except for Minnesota can get that seed. They as, as of right now, they're half game up on the Clippers, so they currently sit in that five seed, and it's plausible that they could end up playing the Suns in the first round. And you're right, that's a very boomer bust team. It's very polarizing. They're so good at home, 33-8. and eight. They're so bad on the road, 10-30. and 30. Now, if you're the Suns and you want to look at the Golden State Warriors as an opponent— the good part about that polarization on the road and home schedule is that you have home court advantage if you're the Suns. You're the four seed. Yeah, that's guaranteed. So you, let's assume that means you beat Golden State in all your home games. All you got to do is win one road game and bada bing, bada boom, we're Or solid. just win all your home games. Or just win all the home games, yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. I, well, so but what I mean is like you're not relying on your team to win too many road games. Or any at all. I Just trust the, the Suns round. to win at least one road game in a series. Sure. You should. And, yes, we've seen seven games, but we've or eight games, excuse me, but we've yet to see really what this offense can fully do. Yeah, I agree. Like, there's so much that Kevin Durant creates 
that just makes it impossible for opposing defenses to figure out what to do. There are times in the I went to the Nuggets and Suns game on that Thursday. There were times where all of a sudden KD is just left wide open for a corner three. And you're thinking to yourself, I'll man, take that. <laughs> man if, if that's against like the bench unit for Denver, what is it going to look like against a starting unit that's trying to fight for a playoff spot? And you have to think about this, too. More likely than not, one, if not both, of Kevin Durant or Devin Booker will be on the floor at all times. That's pretty much how they've been rolling. And that's a trite and true strategy. Kevin Durant had 41 minutes against the Nuggets the other night. He seems ready. He seems ready to go for the postseason if he's getting those kind of minutes this late in the season against the unit that they put out there from Denver on Thursday. Looking back at, let's revisit the Clippers for a second. Okay. You did say you would rather face the Clippers. Yes. I'm looking at their last game. They played the LA Lakers. Is that correct? And they won. Because they're 25 to 118. They haven't lost to the Lakers since the bubble. Now, again, I think things are going to change a little bit because I think Paul George is coming back to play today. Don't quote me on that, but I saw a picture of him entering the arena with a brace and it said first game back. So I'm assuming that that means he's going to play in some capacity. Sure. Uh, looking at the last box score, let's see who the Clippers are rolling out recently. Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, Leonard is still obviously the best player on this team. 25 mm-hmm. points in that game. Book him for 20-plus yeah. in the game. Yeah. Eric Gordon, Russell Westbrook are the other two standouts to me. Eric Gordon didn't do much in this particular game, but we know him. He's a three-point shooter. Russell Westbrook, kind of a high-volume shooter in the past. Um, a guy who could get you a triple-double on one night and then could fall flat the next night. Zubats, not a big threat to me. Here's, here's what I think. I I can guarantee that three Clippers with normal starters are going to be in the lineup every single game. Kawhi, Paul George, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Evita Zubats. Oh, okay. Because I think they, they don't really ha- have much else. So they have Mason Plumley behind him, who's been a nice pickup for the Clippers. But I don't see Mason Plumley getting starts over Zubats, even if Zubats begins to struggle against Aiden. And if you remember, it was kind of the other way around. Other than the Valley Oop in that in that postseason a couple of years back, it was Zubats who kind of had his way with DeAndre Ayton for most of that series. And I wonder if the guard positions in particular are going to rotate a lot, given on how the guard play is for Phoenix. Yeah, and they and have an interesting bench. Maybe you want to put bench. in Terrence Mann for some. Terrence maybe Mann. you want to do more Bones Highland. Maybe you want to do less Eric Gordon. Maybe you just randomly throw out a Robert Covington out of nowhere who just kind of shows up. Clippers have depth. Uh, look, I'm, I mentioned it weeks ago after they made the Russell Westbrook move. I'm not scared of them. They are unpredictable, though. Norman Powell had a great game. In this particular game, he had 27 points. He played 35 minutes. He shot 8 of 15. He's part of that unpredictability. 10 for 10 from the free throw line. Uh, To your point, if we can summarize all this and put a bow on it. Mm -hmm. Most likely scenario is the Suns are either playing the Clippers or the Warriors. The Lakers could slip in there, too, at the 5 seed. Somehow, some way. You're probably going to see either a rematch. I consider this a rematch because the Suns took out the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals two years ago. That could be an interesting rematch. The team is a little bit different, obviously, uh, without, uh, what's that guy's name? The annoying guy? Patrick Beverly. <laughs> it's going to be a little bit different without Playing him. Pat Bev, trying to push the Bulls into the postseason right now. Coming up next, the former Cardinals GM spoke for the first time in a while. Had some interesting comments about two of the stars on the Cardinals. We'll play them for you next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday.
the former general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. Kind of surprised that this is the first version that we're hearing from him since he uh, was was it a mutual parting of ways between him and the organization? That's what they called it. Took the health leave, right? All of that stuff. So Steve Kime was a guest of the Green Light podcast, which is hosted by Chris Long. Chris Long, the former uh, defensive lineman for the Rams, um, Patriots, I believe. He's, he's been around the league. And the conversation that the part of the conversation that caught my attention the most had to do with the two Cardinals biggest stars, let's say. Would you rather start with the wide receiver or the quarterback? Let's start with the wide receiver. Okay. So the rumors around the wide receiver, who of course is DeAndre Hopkins, is a trade. Would the Cardinals trade him? What are the Cardinals looking for in a trade? Why hasn't he been traded yet? Maybe some people are saying. Steve Kime, why a Hopkins trade is complicated. Teams are going to have to be, number one, they're going to have to be creative. And I'm guessing the Cardinals are going to have to figure it out from the standpoint that a player of that magnitude, number one, I think he's 33 years old. Two, the, the contract. And you think to yourself, he's been hurt the last couple of years. Yeah. So they're probably going to have to come to understand that they're probably not going to get as much as they, they would if he was a younger player or his contract was was considerably lower. His contract was what? Guy who signed him to said contract? Gee, I wonder who gave him all that money. Uh. It's like uh, you've seen that, that meme or maybe you've even seen the sketch from I think you should leave the guy dressed like a hot We're dog. We're trying to find the guy who did this. The guy who dressed like a hot dog crashes his hot dog car into a, a, a yeah. place of business and is like, we got to find the guy who did this. And they're like, you're wearing it a hot dog me. costume. Um, yeah, no, I, listen, hearing Steve Kime talk about that, everything he said there is completely right. The fact that you have uh, a receiver who's over 30, yep. I still think very, very good and probably the best wide receiver on the market right now. Yes. But still north of 30. Yes. In the last two seasons, he's only played half the games because he was not available either due to injury or a seven-game suspension. So yes. how reliable is he? Yes. That's a question. All of this. Making $30 million a year, which was a decision that the Cardinals and Steve Kime in particular made. Huh. All those things add up to, yeah, that's a little bit difficult to trade. It's just, it is painful irony hearing all of these things from the man that signed him in the first place. The man that will give him a credit where credit's due. That was a fleecing of a trade. Uh, that was maybe the best deal he ever made. He fleeced the hell out of Bill O'Brien so much that Bill O'Brien got fired. Basically, not because of it, but basically. if I remember right, it was a second round pick, David Johnson, and I think they flipped a fourth for a five. I think they or swapped. Like that. They did a pick swap, yeah. But but now the, the pretty remarkable. It's it's frustrating too because now it almost sounds like you won't be able to get something like back that you won't be able to get something like that back. No, now. No. Whereas we were having that conversation weeks ago of. Well, it's kind of funny because they traded this away when they got him, and now that's probably what they're going to get. Now it feels like the market has soured to the point where you're going to be lucky, to Steve Kime's next point, that you might only get a second or even a third-day pick. It may end up being a you know, a second or third-day draft pick Yeah, to really get it done. Yeah. And that, Because that team is going to have to take it on and understand how they're going to be able to probably get a new deal done. Um, and I negotiated with Hop. Hop was his own agent. I can tell you that's not the easiest thing in the world. Between, between him and Larry Fitzgerald, that's the guys that put all this gray on my beard. Casual laughs, whatever. Yeah, I get but that. But to the, the point that it's, at this point, a former All-Pro, 
a former pro bowler, a former guy who was one quarter away from making his first Super Bowl, you might only be able to get a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick? So those are the third-day picks, right? Yeah. If you get a third-day pick, no one will be happy with that. Fans will not like it. You may be are basically we, just doing a salary dump at that can point. Can I stop real quick? Are we even happy that we are talking about possibly trading him? Not thrilled, but you're at the point where this team is in full rebuild mode. There's so many sure. things you need more okay, than so a $30 yeah, million dollar wide receiver. You don't, you don't need receiver. a star receiver. Sure. No. But he provides height, which is what this receiving room does not have right now. I, no, I love it. And, and honestly, if they can't find a trade partner, I love that he's still on the team. I think it's one of the greatest receivers they've ever had. And I that's concur. saying something because Larry Fitzgerald played for this organization. Right. Um, but all things considered, they need to make a trade for DeAndre Hopkins they need to do right by him, but they also need to do right by the future of this organization, which is they have a lot of other holes they need to fill. A third-day pick, no one's going to like that. It would basically equate to a salary dump. You'd be getting rid of the $30 million and opening that up for the future and getting something for him. I think more realistically, you're going to get a second-day pick. I hope that that equates to a second-round pick. I think more likely it's starting yeah. to look like that might end up being a third or lower. But you brought up the interesting team a couple weeks back when we were discussing this. I think, to your point, and I agree with you now the more I think about it. I have a lot of good ideas. When the, when the Green Bay <laughs> Packers and the New York Jets figure out whatever the hell they're doing. Right. With, um, I call him a name I'm not allowed to say on air. Oh. But the quarterback who was in, that, who was in Green Bay for the longest time. Once they figure that out, they'll have some capital to be able to say go acquire a top-of-the-line receiver for their new young quarterback. The Packers. I like the, I like the idea that if the Packers can get off of the Rodgers contract, they might re return some of that capital into a trade for DeAndre Hopkins, and then boom, that's your probably best chance at a second-round pick. It's possible. Uh, I think that my estimation, which is based off of Peter King, uh, who seems to have a pretty good finger on the pulse he of He seems well-connected. He's the one who I originally saw said, you're not probably getting a first-round pick for Aaron Rodgers. You're probably going to get a second-round pick. I believe the Jets have multiple, or if they don't, they'll just throw future seconds at him. Um, because, again, that's a 39-year-old quarterback that you don't know is going to play for more than one season. I mean, he just literally told Pat McAfee that he was 75% of the way retired when he was in the darkness or whatever that was. And I don't even literally. think that was a metaphor. I think no. that was literally a room that was dark. Literally. So I think, yeah, the Jets could potentially give up a second rounder, which the Packers could then flip, uh, or they could keep based on the fact that you just let Aaron Rodgers go. That's one team that I'm interested in. That's the DeAndre Hopkins conversation. And then really quickly, because we're short on time, I want to get to at least one of these comments from Kime on Kyler Murray. Uh, pointed out that maybe that there's just some inconsistencies football-wise with Kyler. You draft a guy number one, so you put all your eggs in that basket. And in the first year, he is a uh, offensive rookie of the year. Then the second year, he's a pro bowler. And the third year, he's a pro bowler. So you got to think that he's heading in the right direction yeah. and uh you know i just thought he kept getting better and better and better um you know there's just some times of inconsistency with him and did emphasize that he's still a tremendous talent obviously the height hurts him at times seeing over the line and processing and seeing the field but at the same time i mean he's just a tremendous talent i mean he really is the stuff he does he see in practice and in some games i mean he's just off the charts i think it's just putting it together and playing consistent football for four quarters 
I don't think Kaim said anything there that we didn't all already know. Or uh, that we've been discussing for weeks. We've all understood why Steve Kaim ditched Josh Rosen so quickly and, and diverted his attention to Kyler Murray. It was at a time when they were also choosing a new head coach. Um, Offensive-minded, they made a clear mentality shift at that point in time as an organization. Kyler Murray made all the sense in the world. I, I think he still makes all the sense in the world as their quarterback moving forward. Uh, I still have a lot of questions. Uh, somebody said to me the other day, Kyler Murray would be a great late-round fantasy football draft pick this year because, you know, you could stash him for a while, and when he comes back, he could be great. I said, yeah, he could, but the problem is I don't know how many games he's going to miss. And I don't know how good his team's going to be around him. At least last year with DeAndre Hopkins, if your plan was to stash him in your fantasy league, you knew when he was coming back. Mm-hmm. You, Kyler could miss five games. He could miss seven games. He could miss half, more than half the season. I just don't know. Coming up next, who's going to be the biggest difference maker for the Suns comes the postseason? Might not be who you think it is. We'll talk about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday.